Praise God, and uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. As we go back into our Hebrews series, I will try to do a little bit better job of staying with my notes. Um, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, if you would, please stand in honor of God's word. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all of those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not those who disobeyed? See, we see, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, encourage us through your word today. Make us stronger spiritually and help us to go out today uh, with uh, a new sense of purpose, with a new sense of drive and passion to fulfill your calling on our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There is no tomorrow. That's what Apollo Creed said to Rocky in Rocky Three. Uh, training wasn't going so well for Rocky, and uh, he was having a particularly bad uh, training session, and uh, Apollo was getting angry with him. He said a bunch of other things that I cannot quote uh, here on Sunday morning. Uh, But uh, finally, Rocky said, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow. And he said, there is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. And that one line, by the way, uh, Carl Weathers, who played Apollo Creed, passed away this week. Uh, But uh, this basically summarizes much of what is being said today. He comes back to this idea of today. Today is repeated three times in our passage where he emphasizes how we have this window of opportunity. In verse 7, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Again, down in verse 13, it says, But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And then again in verse 15, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So for the author of Hebrews, there is no tomorrow. Don't think, okay, I'll get on that tomorrow. Today is the opportunity we all have before us. And the question is, will we rise to the occasion and do what's needed today, or will we push it off yet again? Will we harden our hearts, push it off yet again? The main idea, really, that he's been working on for uh, several chapters is to think carefully about Jesus. This is a huge idea that he's talking about, that he's trying to encourage his congregation with. In uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Fix your thoughts on 
Jesus. Carries the idea, think carefully. We're to think carefully how Jesus is greater than angels. He spends a whole chapter talking about that, about how Jesus is greater than the law, greater than Moses. Uh, he's wanting us to contemplate, to consider who Jesus is, what Jesus accomplished, and what that means for us. Okay, what the story of Jesus means for us. A little bit later, he uses the same word in a different way. We're going to come back to this later, but in chapter 10, verse 24, he says, let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. And the idea there is we're to think carefully. We're to focus on how we can speak to others and act towards others that will result in them being spiritually stronger. But throughout the book, we as readers are being invited to put serious thoughts into Jesus and what it means for our lives that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. Remember, when he opened uh, the book, he said, you know, God has spoken to us at many times in various ways, long ago through our ancestors, through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. He is the radiance of God's glory. So if you want to know God, if you want to know the character of God, you look no further than Jesus Christ. That's an idea just hounds on throughout the book. So if Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God who died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, then he's the one who deserves our ultimate loyalty and devotion. He's the one we should fix our minds on. I was uh, I heard a video this past week from a popular author and speaker, a guy named Simon Sinek, and he said, the human mind cannot comprehend the negative. And he gave this example. He said, I want you to not think about an elephant. Don't think about it. Don't think about an elephant. How many of you are thinking about elephants right now, right? Okay, so our, our mind does that. And they tell, I've never been skiing, but they tell skiers, you know, uh, don't go down a, a hill or a mountain constantly thinking, don't run into the tree, don't run into the tree, don't run into the tree. Because if your mind focuses on the obstacle, then you're much more likely to hit the obstacle. You focus on the path, the pathway. And I think in life, as we go through life, you are, there's going to be a gravitational pull in your life towards whatever you are thinking about whatever you're focused on, whatever has captivated your attention. And the gravitational pull for all of our lives should be to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, to become like him and our character in the way that we think, in the way that we speak, in the way that we live, and to carry out his mission for our lives. And that's what he's calling us to do, to fix our minds on Christ. Um, he continues on talking about rest in chapter 3, uh, verse 11, he said, So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. They shall never enter my rest. So he has this idea uh, that they are uh, not entering his rest because they were in rebellion, and he very much would like for them to enter his rest. But what does it mean to enter God's rest? It carries the idea of safety, of peace. And freedom. In a physical sense, he gives us the example of Israel. If we were to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 9, it says that God will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. So that's the physical, literal sense of the word, but here he's using it in the spiritual sense that there's a spiritually safe, secure place for us, and that's for those who walk in faithfulness to the Lord. Putting all of that together, that's what we are to focus on. Today I want to talk about three actions of a healthy church. And that word healthy is what I'm uh, using uh, as a way to talk about rest. Because when you think about rest, you're thinking about someone who's at peace, 
someone who's protected, they're secure, someone who's healthy. And he's writing this to a congregation. Okay, he's writing this to a congregation for how they are to engage one another in, uh, in the church. So, uh, three actions of a healthy church. Action number one, examine. Action number one, examine. Evaluate your heart and your ways. Notice how he begins, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my way. So what does it look like when your heart goes astray, when you've hardened your heart, you have not known my way. So to harden your heart, Here is this idea of rejecting God's revelation and will for your life. We think of the Old Testament, the famous example in the Old Testament of Pharaoh. Okay, God sends Moses to Pharaoh. What does Moses come to Pharaoh to do? He he comes bringing the word of God. He comes bringing the will of the Lord. Let my people go. Pharaoh hardened his heart towards that revelation from God. He rejected it. Later it said that God hardened his heart, but early on he hardened his heart to God. He rejected God's will and would not let his people go. The same is true with Israel in this passage. They've hardened their heart since they are rebelling against God and his expressed will for them. Their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So God revealed his ways to them, called them to a mission, called them to a purpose, but they are rejecting All of that. When we harden our hearts, we are rejecting God's will for our lives. We are rebelling against God, turning away from the living God. Notice what it says in chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that, what does a sinful, unbelieving heart do? Turns away from the living God. Now, the problem is we're not always aware of the hardness of our hearts because sometimes we tend to drift. That's why he opens with see to it. Literally just the word see. You need to take a look at your heart. You need to examine your heart. You need to evaluate your heart and take care. You need to focus on uh, what, is, what sins are in your life, what areas need to be improved. If we want to avoid becoming the kind of people who harden their hearts before God, then we must be the kind of people who on a regular basis, take evaluation of ourselves spiritually, examine ourselves, evaluate our hearts before God. Hardness of heart is a place easily that we can drift to. We can easily drift to that place without even recognizing. That's why in the Bible there's this constant repetition of phrases like this. Psalm 139, verse 23 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He says again in Psalm 26 too, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. In 1 Corinthians 11, before we take the Lord's Supper, we are supposed to examine our hearts. We're supposed to test ourselves. At the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test Yourself. Now, here's a couple of questions I want to give you to ask yourself. A couple of questions I want to give you to ask yourself that will help in this endeavor. First, what truth am I refusing to believe? What truth am I refusing to believe? Um, now, this takes some work because, uh, you know, all of us would say, well, not everything that I believe is right, that there's a percentage of what you believe 
that's not right, but not a lot of us want to spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out exactly what that is, right? Because we just want to continue to believe what we've always believed. But is there something you know in your heart of hearts is true about you, about God, about the world that you just refuse to accept? You continue to justify perhaps certain behaviors or certain things you do and believe, and you continue to make excuses. What truth am I refusing to believe? Second question, what action am I refusing to take? That is, okay, you've got these beliefs, but what sins are you justifying? What are you supposed to continue in that you refuse to continue in, that God's called you to do something, and you say, tomorrow, tomorrow, there is no tomorrow. The hardening of the heart is reflected in a life that rejects God's will and continues to push it off. So, evaluate, okay, uh, and it's very interesting, after the first service, I uh, preached someone said that she tells people, evaluate and adapt. So I'll add that in there, all right? Evaluate and adapt. But evaluate, get a pathway to transformation. Think carefully about, okay, how can I walk in a different direction away from this and become a different kind of per- a person and then start taking action today? Action number two, encourage, help one another be strong. So you examine, you evaluate yourself, but you also have a responsibility not just to yourself, but to the people around you, particularly the people in this congregation. Uh, anybody you come in contact with, I believe we have some obligation to, to love them and to care for them, but particularly those that we've entered into a church relationship, a covenant relationship where we have obligation to one another. He instructs the church to encourage one another daily. Notice what he says down in verse 13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin has a deceptive element to it where you are deceiving yourselves and being deceived by the sins you are committing. So he encourages the church to, to encourage, he, he instructs the church to encourage one another. And the good news in all of this is that your words and your actions can have a profound impact on the people around you. Your words and your actions can have a powerful impact on the people around you. I want you to look around this room. You see the people in this room. What you say and what you do can powerfully influence them to build them up or to tear them down. In this context, that word encourage, it means to urge strongly, to appeal to, to exhort, to encourage. Um, i give you a couple of examples. I, I want you to turn, if you would, to the back of Hebrews chapter 13. I want to show you some. I've showed you this verse before. But you think, what is Hebrews? Okay, uh, we know we've got the Gospels. We've got the Gospels, and what are they? That They tell the Gospel. They tell the story of Jesus. You've got letters, like from the Apostle Paul, where he's writing to the church at Corinth and, and so forth, and we'd say those are letters. And this is a letter, but in chapter 13, verse 22, he says, Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. Same exact word, for in fact I have written to you quite briefly. So when he says encourage one another, I want you to think about the fact that Hebrews is a living, breathing example of what he means by encouragement. That as you read through it, what does he do? In fact, if you think about our passage today, it's just kind of like a sermon in many ways. He quotes from the Old Testament. 
Then he gives commentary. Then he begins to quote certain other passages, and he gives commentary to it. Why? To make the church stronger. So this could be an example of a word of exhortation. But I think it goes beyond that, even to the conversations that we would have in the foyer, the conversations you'd have in life groups, where you are speaking into the life of other people in Acts 13, verse 15. It says, after the reading from the law and the prophets, the leader of the synagogue uh, sent word to them saying, brothers, you have a word of exhortation for the people. Please speak. Please speak. So informed by the scriptures, informed by the word of God, you are taking that wisdom and you are carefully considering how you can speak into the life of other people, how you can act towards other people to make them strong. And I think the reason that we do that is because all of us lack a certain self-awareness to some degree, right? Because as you come to number one, you're like, okay, I'm going to check this off the list. I'm going to examine myself. Can I just tell you something? You're going to miss something. Okay? You're going to miss something. Do you know last week during my sermon, I preached an entire sermon with a big clob of mud on the side of my shoe. The whole time I was preaching, I was walking around with mud on my shoe. I didn't know it. Obviously, I didn't know it. It wasn't a fashion statement I was trying to make on Sunday morning. Uh, I didn't know it until someone on the way out told me, you got a big clob of mud on your shoe. You know, and I told him, I said, I'm going to use that this morning. He said, yeah, I was just glad it was mud, you know. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, but you know, there's, there's two sides of this dynamic. One, we've got to be willing to uh, talk to one another about the mud in our lives, the spiritual mud in our lives, right? We've also got to be willing to receive it. We've also got to be, I mean, it had been kind of silly for me to say, well, yeah, your shoes aren't so clean either. Right? That wouldn't have been the right way to receive that, right? No, so there's got to be this relationship where we're willing to walk into uh, a situation where we carefully speak to others in ways that encourage them, that build them up. That does not mean we're just walking around speaking sunshine and roses all the time where uh, everything's perfect and everything's always, that, that's not going to be helpful, Okay. It's where we're honest with one another, but we carefully think about how can I speak and act towards others where I can make them spiritually stronger and be the kind of person who's willing to receive that as well. Okay, now what I don't want us to do is right after this, say, oh yeah, I've got some people that got mud on them. I'm about to go and, tell, and, and start walking around telling people about all the mud they've got. Now, that's not going to be helpful, Right? This is a situation where it works in relationship. It works in the context of relationship where both sides know that they care about each other and you're going to speak truth to them. You're going to encourage them. A lot of times it is, hey, you're doing great. Keep going. God's, God's working in your life, okay? Uh, sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's like, okay, let, let's, let's think carefully about how we can grow spiritually because I've got some areas in my life that I need to work with, and, and it's a conversation that you begin to have amongst brothers and sisters in Christ where you care about each other. I want you to turn, if you would, over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. I read this earlier, but this summarizes and says it much better than I'm trying to say it, what, what our relationship should be in encouragement. 
chapter 10, verse 24, and let us consider, same phrase as what we said earlier about fix your eyes on Jesus, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You've got together, you've got to meet together, you've got to be present with each other in order for this to work to where you can lovingly and kindly speak words of encouragement that are going to result in the strengthening of other people. You have to think carefully about it. Finally, action number three, endure, stay true to the calling of Christ. Endure, stay, to, stay true to the calling of Christ. Over in chapter 3, verse 14, he says, uh, We come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. He lays out a condition, if you'll note, to sharing or participating in the life of Christ. I love the kingdom translation of this where it says, We share the life of the Messiah, you see, only if we keep a firm, tight grip on our original confidence right through to the end. Staying true to your original confidence. A little bit later on, uh, John would say, uh, you've lost your first love. And I think a lot of us, uh, we struggle at times with that first confidence that at some point perhaps we had, where we were walking, we knew we were right in the will of God, we're walking in confidence, holding firm to the gospel of Christ, holding firm to the mission with which he called us, and then at some point along the way, our gaze shifted over to an obstacle. Our gaze shifted over to something else. We stopped thinking carefully about Jesus, and we started thinking uh, more carefully about other things in life, which you have to do from time to time, but obviously Jesus needs to be the focal point of our lives. Your life is going to gravitate towards what you're thinking about, what you're focused on, what has captivated your attention. And that was true of Israel as well. And that's why they did not enter his rest. This is a story. He's giving us an example to warn us about, hey, consider their story. What did they do? They took their eye off of God and his way. They started living their own way. And did they enter the promised land? No, they did not. And so now he's giving us this example for us to consider for ourselves and for our own congregation. We must stay focused on Christ. He must continue to be the focal point of our lives. Do you know God's ways? That is, are you living out the way of Christ in your life? So as we begin to wrap this up this morning, I just want to draw out those three ideas and bring it all together. This is for a healthy congregation. Okay, show me a healthy congregation. I'll show you a congregation. I'll show you a group of people who first are willing to do the hard work of taking personal inventory and examine, evaluate their own hearts. That's not something that we gravitate to. You're not going to wake up in the morning and want to necessarily be self-reflective on the areas that you need to grow in in life. Uh, we would sometimes like to cover that up and move on with our life as if, as if everything's hunky-dory. But it requires of us to stop and examine What's in our heart? Search me, O God. Show me if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in your everlasting way. But we also have an obligation to one another, not just to ourselves, but to one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that means that we've got to do the hard work of finding people within this congregation, the context of our lives, that we can develop 
meaningful relationships with where we can speak words of encouragement to build them up, to make them stronger. And then finally, we have to endure. Hold on to that original confidence that you have in Christ. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Gracious Father, thank you so much for today. We're thankful for all that you've done in the life of the church, all you continue to do. So, Father, I pray that we would devote ourselves to Christ, that we think carefully about who Jesus is, what he accomplished for us on the cross, the mission that he's called us to. We constantly go back to that. We constantly remember that and remind ourselves of those foundational truths. We're thankful for your watch care over us, that you care about us spiritually, and God, I pray that we would desire to enter that rest, that spiritually safe place of your presence, of fellowship with Christ. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's all stand. Just want to encourage you today to take decisive action. If you feel the Spirit leading you to do something, to take decisive action, to take that step today and not say tomorrow. Whatever that is, whether it be trusting in Christ, whether it be following through a believer's baptism, whether it be joining the church, or uh, you might just need to come kneel at the altar and say, God, search my heart, show me your way. Whatever it is, pray you would respond right now as we sing. Uh-huh.